So this morning, uh, we've got a little bit of a sandwich for you, okay? And, and uh, so if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5, and um, <clears throat> should have maybe brought a sandwich with me, but just, just, just for fun as we're kind of kicking this off, and this will make more sense as we get to talking, um, but, uh, but, but maybe, maybe a couple people, just go ahead and shout it out. Maybe those of you who are feeling the most warm this morning, the most excited to be at church, what's your favorite sandwich? An Italian. Okay, two people had an Italian. A Reuben. Egg salad. BLT. Wow. Steak and cheese. Tuna melt. Chicken Slovakia. I wonder where you get that from. Okay. Any, any others? Reuben. Anything with bacon. Okay. I'm digging that. Anything with bacon. Okay. Cheese and, ba- cheese and bacon sandwich. Okay. <laughs> All right. And mom says he's special. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Well, what I mean by having a sandwich this morning, okay, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, and we really have a sandwich of a story. The story starts out with the story of a guy named Jairus and his daughter, and then it shifts to uh, talking about this woman that comes up and touches Jesus that we're going to talk about, and then it goes back to Jairus. And so we've got kind of the bun being Jairus and his story, and the middle uh, being, being this woman who touches Jesus. And so excited to share with you. Let's read through the text, and then I've got about five or six things I want to point out to you, um, and then five things that those two stories have in common, and then three things for us before we go. Sound good? Doesn't sound, it do, it's not going to be as long as it sounds. All right, but let's start by reading it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus, has, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I could just touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? 
The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Whew. A lot happening here in this story. But the main point, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. So this is kind of the thesis, the main theme of what we're going to talk about this morning. We can, everybody say can. We can come to Jesus with our requests. Isn't that good news? It doesn't stop there though. And he will honor even imperfect faith when the object of that faith is him. We can come to Jesus with our requests. Big, small, doesn't matter. We can come to Jesus with our requests and He will honor even imperfect faith when the object of that faith is Him. And so again, what we see here is a sandwich structure beginning with the story of Jairus, verses 21 through 24, interrupted by the story of a suffering woman, 24 through 34, and ending with Jairus again in 35 through 43. And the purpose of this sandwich, right? The purpose of this sandwich is to make two comparisons. And so I want to give you those from the beginning, right? Because we're going to give you a ton of information, right? But I want you to see how these things connect. First, Jesus cares for those in trouble. Isn't that good news? Jesus cares for those in trouble. Secondly, and this is a little, uh, this is a little bit bigger of a word, so, so hang with me here. Jesus is the omnipotent God, Okay, Jesus is the omnipotent God. Now, most of you know I usually don't use those bigger words, and it's not because I'm from the South and I'm dumb. Okay, but it's just I like to keep things um, understandable. So let me explain omnipotent. It means unlimited power, that Jesus is the God with unlimited power, able to do anything, able to do anything right? Able to do anything. He has, a, he has the authority over what's impossible for you and I. He has the authority over what's impossible for you and me. And so the purpose of these stories being thrown together here in this sandwich structure that's got us all thinking about our favorite sandwich that we're going to have for lunch, okay, is that Jesus cares for those in trouble and that he is all-powerful, that he is the omnipotent God, able to do anything, not to mention, and I find it, I find it truly fascinating that Mark would throw these, and Peter was, was transcribing it for him, right? He was writing it all down for him, but, or excuse me, Mark was writing it all down through the eyes of Peter, right? But I, I find it interesting that this was, was put in here, that this little girl was 12 years old, and do you remember how long this discharge of blood had been happening for this woman? 12 years. You guys are paying attention. That's awesome. I'm proud of you. Right? And so, and so we see the comparisons here, right? The first thing I want you to I want to point out to you, we're going to talk about verses 21 through 24. We're going to talk about the, the top layer of the bun of this sandwich. 21 through 24, Jairus coming to Jesus, great crowd around him, 
the first thing I want to point out to you is that we can come to Jesus with our request. We can come to Jesus with our request. Great crowds still followed in. He just can't be hidden. Jesus just can't be hidden at this time, right? Word gets around, doesn't it? Word gets around even when we don't want it to, right? A man named Jairus shows up. He's the ruler of a synagogue, a man of distinction, great respect, yet shows great humility. He basically begs Jesus on his knees with his face to the ground to come with him. His little girl, his only daughter, is dying. And I want you to think about this. Religious leaders like Jairus in this time were still trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. They were still trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. But Jairus kind of bucks the system and says, I'm at the end of my rope. I've got no other option. My daughter is on death's doorstep, as the scriptures, as the text says. I'm just going to go to Jesus. And so we can come to Jesus with our request. No matter how big or how small, we can come to Jesus with our request. But the second thing I want to point out to you is that we must come to Jesus in faith. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. And implored him, begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Right? So that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Right? Come and lay your hands on her that she might live. Jairus comes to Jesus because he believed. Right? He believed. Even if it was the last point of his belief. Right? Even if it was just his last ditch effort. He believed that Jesus could do for him what no one else could. Jesus could do for him what no one else could. His humble faith is a model that we should all emulate, church. Notice his request. Straight to the point. Delivered with dependency and urgency. And they were on their way. Straight to the point. Delivered with dependency and urgency. And they were on their way. Jesus, Jairus knew that Jesus could do something for him that no one else could. And, and, and see, here's my fear for us as we read this, right? As we read these texts, right? Is that we, many of us, struggle to engage with anything anymore that wouldn't happen unless God showed up. Can I tell you something? That I'm so glad that pastors and church leaders before us didn't operate in that way, aren't you? We're probably not sitting here today. Like, like let's, just, let's just pause for a moment. Let's just pause for a moment. Let's, bo- let's look back over the past four or five years. BTW, which means, by the way, for those of you that don't text, okay? All right. By the way, today, today, everybody say today. Today is the four-year anniversary of Summit Church. Isn't that cool? 
We're four years old today. Hopefully, we're potty trained. I'm not sure. We're a toddler, right? I mean, right? We're four years old. First Sunday in February is when Summit Church had our first service. So it's the, it's the birthday of the first service, right? Last Sunday in January would have been the birthday of when we came together uh, in the South Gorham Church building in the basement with the cake and the t-shirts, and everybody was so happy. They just couldn't wait to get together. Remember those blissful days? <laughs> anyway, right? Summit Church didn't happen that night, did it? You have to go back two years previously to when a couple of pastors, one, one pastor of an existing church and an interim pastor of a long-standing church with a great reputation in the town came together at a meeting where one pastor didn't want the other pastor there. And I won't, I won't let you in on who was who, right? Um, mainly shame-based. But, um, but right, one, one pastor didn't want, you know, and, and, and to, to engage and, and, and things like that. And, and, um, and, and yet, God was preparing then the story that he knew today. Right? God was preparing then the story that he knew today because they came around, these pastors came together and these churches came together on a project that was coming alongside of working with the Gorham School Department that has a policy that no churches can do any gatherings within school properties. Still. But after this day, June 17th in 2017, they added, they added a caveat because we wanted to have a service out on the land at one of the school buildings. And so they added a, a, a line in one of their policies that stated that no churches could meet in school properties, on school properties, that unless it's a church in transition... So because we had five churches that shut their doors that day and decided to do one joint service together, a couple years later, when Summit Church in the midst of a pandemic found itself homeless, we had a place where we could come and gather. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, that's just great relationships. That, let me tell you something. I'm not that good. Your church leaders aren't that good. God was preparing back in 2017 for what Summit Church is reaping the benefits of and the blessings of today. Isn't that awesome? And so as we think about the bigger story that we can come to Jesus in faith, and that's just a small story to talk about our birthday and to kind of celebrate our church for just a moment, right? And, and to eat an imaginary cupcake in celebration of our birthday, Right? to think about how there's no way any of us could have dreamt that up and could have mapped up the last five years to go exactly how it's gone. None of us are that good. But yet we're sitting here this morning because Jesus is good. And because He loves His church. And when a group of people come together and they're so focused on Him, He can do incredible things. Things And so my question for you in relation to that is as we see that we can come to Jesus with our request, any request, but we must come to Jesus in faith. What are you asking God for today that if he doesn't intervene, just isn't going to happen? 
Because then we see how Jesus responds to the pain of people. Verse 25, there was a woman, right, who had to discharge of blood. I'm not going to read all of this. Who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. But she had heard the reports about Jesus, came up to him and touched him. Came up to him and touched him. Now, what occurs in verses 24 through 34 can't be fully appreciated apart from the urgency of their situation and the Hebrew laws concerning uncleanliness. So I'm going to take you down a little bit of a rabbit trail real quick. Follow me. Leviticus 15, 25 through 30. Leviticus 22, 1 through 9. Just write those references down. I'm not going to jump into them, okay? But they describe the Old Testament law that states that if anyone, especially females, had a discharge of blood, they were considered unclean. Now what this meant in Hebrew law the uncleanliness, was that you could not approach the temple. In fact, unclean people would be placed in a room that was considered unclean until the the discharge of blood was fixed, healed, taken care of, right? Then they could come out, go through a ceremonial cleaning, and be worthy to go back to the temple, back to the synagogue. And so they had to rely, they being unclean people, right? Men and women with an uncleanliness had to rely on priests to go to God on their behalf. Okay, so this was a big deal. Numbers chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through the contact with the dead. Little awkward. Verse 3, you shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in in the midst of which I dwell. And so what God's telling Moses, right, is that don't let this one unclean person, right, mess with everyone else's experience of me. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? Doesn't really sound quite, quite right, does it? Well, let's keep reading. In verse 4, and the people of Israel did so, put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Now, we can look at, at Numbers, we can look at Leviticus, and we can praise their obedience to God, but I look at Leviticus, and I look at Numbers, and say, thank you, Jesus, that you came and made a way for unclean people, for people who are not worthy to be in the presence of God, to be in the presence of God, and to connect with Jesus. Praise the Lord that he sent Jesus, right, so that unclean people, anybody unclean in here? Okay, thank you. Anybody a sinner? That's a better question, okay? You're probably confused about the discharge of blood, right? Not where we're going, not the question, okay, right, right? But because we're all sinners, right, who in this time would have not been able to have access to God because of Jesus, we don't have to go get washed up before we can come into the presence of God. We can come to, into the presence of God as we are, and He will meet with us, connect with us, and speak with us, and talk to us, and convict us. Amen. And so as we read this, right, this woman is taking a huge risk. Great crowds pressing in on Jesus, but like Jairus, who 
who really should have never gone to Jesus in practical thinking in, in, in the times because religious leaders still trying to figure out, they're probably holding committee meetings, deacon meetings, all these things, trying to figure out what are we going to do with this move of God, right? This Jesus that's shown up, that's all of a sudden, right, declaring things and, and kind of bucking the system with, with Hebrew law and doing all of these things, right? What are we going to do? Just like Jairus, who was at the end of his rope, who had no other option, came to Jesus and said, would you just come touch my daughter? Right? Because I don't, I don't really know what to do with you, right? But I really have no other choice. This woman thinks to herself, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. I'll be healed. No one's going to do this on my behalf. I'm going to go. And what we see in this text is something that I think we wrestle with today, talking about the, the distracted soil last week, is that Jesus is not too busy with one task to stop and to help someone else who is hurting. We see it all through the Gospels. We see it all through the Gospels. And some, some, of you, some of you may be bothered by the fact, well, why was Jesus so distracted? Why, did he, why didn't he just stay going to Jairus' house? J Jesus was willing to get interrupted because of the needs of the people. We can approach Jesus in our hurt. This woman comes to Jesus, crowd still there, suddenly appears. She has a discharge of blood, making her ceremonially unclean, as we just saw, forbidding her access to the temple. She's been sick for 12 years, a long time. She's spent all her money. She's gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and seemingly is worse as a result. And yet she heard about this miracle worker, Jesus. And so probably even, I read many commentaries about this this past week, and, 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 and many of them say probably even with superstitious intent, she goes. With superstitious intent, she believes that if she could just touch him or his clothing, that she could be healed. And we can say superstitious intent because many people of this time had heard about Jesus, had heard what he was doing, and they were trying to be the one to catch him. Right? Well, if I can go, if I can catch him in this, if he can't heal me, right? Caught. Right? But if he can heal me, what do I have to lose? Because I'm healed. Right? I mean, so, and so it's kind of a win-win situation. And so she reached out. Uh, 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 excuse me. Uh, so she heard about this miracle worker. She believes that she could just touch his clothing. Her beliefs may have been in question, but her faith was strong. Leading us to our next point, that we must approach Jesus in faith. Look at verses 28. Um, for, he, for she said, if I could even touch his garments, I would be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed. With hundreds all around him, crowd pressing in. Only one woman connected with him in faith. Spiritually and physically desperate, she did the unthinkable and really unacceptable. She reached out and touched him, and she did so in faith. She's instantly healed, and she knows it. 
She feels it. What joy she must have experienced for the first time in 12 years. Jesus at once feels the loss of power. He starts looking around, and it's funny to see the the disciples that are with him, right? Because Jesus feels the power go out of them and says, who touched you? Well, Jesus, look around, right? There's a crowd of people around here. Any of these people could have touched you. Well, no, dum-dum, I felt powerly, right? right? Like, Like Jesus just had to be, anyway, sorry, that's an aside, right? Jesus feels the loss of power. The woman falls down, confesses everything. Can you imagine? You're in a crowd of people. This woman falls down. Can you imagine the shame, right? Well, what were you thinking? You knew you had this. You know what Leviticus says. You know what Numbers says. She had probably been taught it from birth, right? And yet she is coming and falling down at the feet of Jesus. She confesses everything. He welcomes her into the kingdom, commends her faith, and blesses her. And when he commends her faith, I bet Peter was like, yeah, I, I knew it, right? Like, just, just totally taking credit for it, right? Then we get back to the bottom side of the bun, back to Jairus. I want you to put yourself in Jairus' shoes for just a second. He must have been beside himself, Daughter, only daughter, 12 years old, death's doorstep. And this woman comes up who shouldn't have even been around. She, she was ceremonially unclean. She should have been isolated. She should have been outside of the town. She should have been in a place all to herself. Jairus must have been beside himself in anxiety and frustration. I mean, after all, the woman had been sick for 12 years. What would 30 more minutes have cost her to wait? Which leads me to the next point, that we can believe in Jesus in spite of our circumstances. The celebration of this woman being healed after touching the garments of Jesus is interrupted with bad news. Jairus' daughter is dead. Jesus, you don't have to come anymore. It's a lost cause. Hope is suddenly gone. And Jesus responds to the news with a challenge. Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, verse 36, Do not fear, only believe. Essentially, he's saying, trust me, I got this. I've got this. Right? It's like in the movie. Right in those Bourne movies, or, 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 or you know, um, I'm blanking. Like Bond movies, right? When, when the solution is right in front of them, right, and all they've got to do is just reach out. But yet they go all the way around just so they can make it another 20 or 30 minutes of the movie, and you're like, why'd you do that? <laughs> right? Well, just adding to the suspense, just adding to the vic- just adding to it, right? Despite all the appearances, it's like Jesus is saying. I am neither distracted or disinterested in your need. I work in my time, not others' time. I will not be hurried or dictated either. Believe and watch what I do. Jesus is showing his power. Then we get to verses 37 through 40, and we can see that we can believe in Jesus regardless of of the, of the skeptics. Look at what happens. 
Verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of Jesus. We're going to get to that in just a second. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. So Jesus kicked him out of the house. Right? Jesus said, I mean, Jesus said he had all of them removed except for Peter, James, and John, the ones that he brought with him, and mom and dad. And so now you have five people plus Jesus, six, and the little girl who's, who's laying there. Right? So the point that we can take from this is don't laugh at Jesus. He'll kick you out of the house. Fair enough. But we're going to take this to see that we can believe in Jesus regardless of the skeptics. He takes the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. This is the first time he separates them from the others. And this would have been quite the scene. Professional mourners had come to be with the family, which I find interesting. Professional mourners, people that, were, that, that would come when a loved one had passed away and mourn and wail with the family. And Jesus essentially, again, they laughed at him. He essentially kicks everyone out except for the family and the few disciples that he had brought. And, and, and hardcore realists, right? Hardcore realists who breathe the air of skepticism will always be around. You got to know that, church. Realists and skeptics and, and people who breathe the air of skepticism, they're always going to be around, right? As for this Jesus, as for this God, as for this Moses, we see it all throughout Scripture, right? I was just, I was just reading this morning in Matthew, and, 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 and if they did this to me, don't be surprised that they do this to you. They'll mock our faith, in a God that we can't see. They'll mock our faith in a Savior on a cross. They might even laugh, but nevertheless, Jesus is saying here, believe. Have faith. I mean, what do you think Jairus is thinking at this point? Right? The little girl is dead. I mean, he's just going along with this because he's gotten himself in a mess. All the religious leaders around him are probably like, told you. Right? Told you. I mean, I mean, I mean, we're we're still trying to figure out what to do with this. He took the time. He he took the time with this woman who had been who had been unclean for twelve years and and got distracted and and didn't come and touch her daughter right and 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 had him cornered. Imagine just for a moment. But Jesus continues to persist in saying, "Don't fear. Only believe. Trust me." I got this. As dark as the night gets, as low as the account gets, trust me, I've got this. I've got this. I mean, as I was preparing for this message, I, 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 I wish I could take the day and just go back and show you. I mean, where's Ben Pino? You remember? What year was it? What year was it that you called me in August and September? And said, if this church is still standing in January, it will be a miracle. You remember when you said that? Yeah. And we came in like 10 cents over. Tom and I are grateful that you're finally admitting that. 
Reason number 897 that you don't engage people in the congregation into your sermon. <laughs> because confession, bless them, right? Bless them. But we saw a miracle. We saw a miracle. We saw a miracle. I, I got to keep going because we could do that all day. He's saying, persist in this. Do not fear, have faith. Which leads us to the end where we see that we can believe in Jesus because he can be trusted. Jesus, again, does the unthinkable. He touches the body of this little girl with a gentle touch. As mom and dad look on through, no doubt, tears, he says, little girl, get up. And the response by now shouldn't surprise us, right? In, in fact, I, I fear that many of us who are sitting here sit and hear a message like this and just roll our eyes. Well, yeah, I mean, he did this, he did that, but he hasn't heard my prayer for my son. He hasn't heard my prayer for my daughter. He hasn't heard my prayer for my need. He hasn't heard my prayer for this. He does the unthinkable. Immediately, she gets up. And immediately, they were overcome with amazement. One of the greatest understatements of Scripture that these parents and the three disciples in the room, Peter, James, and John, like, what, what do we do with this? He gave a command to keep it quiet to the people in the room for messianic reasons that we don't have time to dive into. Zan did a great job a couple weeks ago diving into some of that. He instructs them to give them to give her something to eat for practical reasons. I mean, she'd been sick. She'd been near the death, and, and she needed to be restored, and she is restored to complete health. And so let's draw the sandwich together, right? Isn't it awesome when, when pieces of sandwiches come together and make it incredible, right? Make it incredible. Make, you, when you bite into it, and you're like, who knew this combination would be this good? Like her spiritual sister in verses 24 through 34, get this, her gender, her namelessness, we don't know Jairus' daughter's name, we don't know the unclean woman, the woman with a, dis, a, a discharge, right? I mean, that's, those are the things we know, their gender, their namelessness, their uncleanliness, dead, discharge, right? An impossible condition, death, pretty impossible condition, Right? Discharged for 12 years that all these doctors had no, had no idea and were even making it worse. Impossible condition didn't stop either one of them from experiencing a touch of Jesus. What's your problem? Which leads me to look at the similarities in the sandwich. There's five. Both knew. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is encouraging. Both knew only Jesus could help them. Both knew only Jesus could help them. Both were at a point in their life, Jairus with, with his daughter and this unclean woman, both were at a point in their life where they knew 
that they were at the end. That, 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 if, that if they were going to be healed, if they were going to have hope in this, it would have to be Jesus. It would have to be Jesus. Only Jesus could help them. Let me ask you something this morning. In your situation, do you believe only Jesus can help you? In, in your situation, before you Google answers and, and ways to get out of it, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? I'll never forget one time I was trying to troubleshoot a problem and I was like, I, I don't know what to do here. And, I, and, I, and so I went to a couple of trusted friends and I was, like, I was like, I don't know what to do. And Dylan looked at me very honestly in a cabin at Camp 207 and said, have you prayed about it? Yeah, duh, I'm the pastor. Nope. I pray about everything without ceasing. Right? Never admitted that publicly. We're admitting a lot of things this morning, Ben. Your accounting errors, my pastoral errors. Okay, number two, they both knew that they were unworthy. In both, in both stories, in both stories, we see them fall down and worship. They knew they were unworthy. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the, the woman tries to touch the garment and be hidden, right? And, and so both knew they were unworthy. How worthy do you see yourself this morning? Third, in both stories, we see that a change happened. A change happened. In, in, the, in the bun of the story, in Jairus' story, the girl was healed, right? She got up, she walked, she ate. And the discharge of blood stopped. The, the woman was healed. A change happened. Fourth, they fell down and worshipped. They fell down and worshiped. Now, what I want you to see here, and it was fascinating to me, right? They didn't fall down and worship after the fact. They fell down and worshiped in advance of the miracle. See, I think we get it twisted sometimes, right? Jesus, I will worship you when and if you do this for me. Not the other way around. Jesus, I'm going to worship you no matter what. That's where I had to get with my brother's disability. See, I always thought, I always bargained with God. God, if you'll help Andy walk again, if you'll help him get up out of the chair and walk again, I'll praise you. I'll give you my life. And one day it was like God spoke to me clearly, not audibly, but I felt it deep in my spirit. Are you going to worship me if he's not up and walking? Maybe. Well, you need to get there. Because maybe I've already healed him. In my eyes. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> exactly. They fell down and worshiped in advance of the miracle, not as a result. Well, really, both. And then, fifth. They believed 
Jesus could heal. Even just a piece of them, right? Because again, I, I, think, I think Jairus, I think Jairus is figuring out what to do with Jesus because he's hearing, he's hearing all the other religious leaders like, what do we do with this? And, 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 and the woman's just at the end of a rope, right? And so she has no idea. But, but they believed, even for a moment, that Jesus could heal. And so today, three challenges for you. Number one, be determined. Be determined. Be Jairus. Saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do. My little girl who's 12 years old, right? She's, she's going to die. And Jesus, if you don't come touch her, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be determined, right? This woman, I, I, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. I've tried every doctor. I've gone to specialists. I've done this. But Jesus, Jesus, I believe that if I could just touch the back of your robe. I mean, think of Moses in Exodus 33. God, I don't know what to do with these Israelites who just built a golden calf right? And worshiped. You've led them out of Israel, uh, out from under Pharaoh's rule, excuse me. You've let, you've led them out of Egypt, right? We've wandered. The whole Red Sea thing happened, which I've still got a lot of questions about God, but you made it happen. I mean, that was unbelievable. I mean, the view of the sea walls. Wow. Better than any Verbo or B&B I could get, right? And, and, and Moses, God, if you aren't going to show me your glory, I'm done leading these Israelites. And what'd God do? Oh, oh, all right, Moses, go in the cleft of this rock. I'll cover you with my hand. And when, when all my glory passes by, I'll remove my hand. Right? Moses was determined to experience the glory of God. My question for you, church, is how determined are you to experience Jesus today? Not when you get a little older. Now when the kids grow up, now, today, I'm not trying to scare you into the kingdom of heaven. It's just reality. It's reality. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed. Be determined to follow Jesus in whatever your situation, circumstance is now. Now. Second thing, walk in humility. I love that in both of these stories, both of these stories, both of these stories, they fell down and worshiped. It says their face to the ground. Face to the ground. I have to give a, 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 a 12-minute sermon. Don't laugh. I have to give a 12-minute sermon for this preaching class that I'm a part of down in Tennessee this week and send it in. 12-minute sermon on humility. And one of the biggest things that I think about when I think about walking in humility is how we walk around with a false sense of humility, right? We teach people that it's prideful to pray for yourself, to ask for prayer for yourself. I remember that from Sunday school, right? Well, well, you should think of yourself less, Travis. Well, humility is not not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself, right, it, less. And, and it's, and, and it's a, an accurate view of me directly related to a high view of God. See, these, these people, Jairus and this woman with the discharge, right, it's not that they, it, 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 they came and they worshipped Jesus. They came and depended on Jesus. They walked in humility and knew that they didn't have any other option but Jesus, We would do well to remember that we are not God. There is a Savior, and you're not it. And I'm not it. 
we would do well to remember that we are servants who are called to walk in humility. Be determined. Walk in humility. And then third, I pray it's one of the reasons you're here. Abound in hope. Overflow with hope. Overflow with hope. Overflow with hope. Because whatever situation you're walking through right now, and you may not find this as encouraging, and I'm a little sorry about that, it's temporary. It's temporary. I mean, let's, let's think about it for a moment. A situation we're all dealing with. And if, and if you're sitting here this morning and you would say, oh, I love this winter. You need to find another church. <laughs> this is miserable. Somebody told me this morning, coldest January we've had. I know, I've felt it. <laughs> Greg and I have really felt it. Right? Mornings, minus eight degrees. Yikes. Right? But, but it's temporary. Like I'm counting down. Like I'm thinking, okay. All right. March is coming. And then, and then we've got April, right? And, and, and April's going to be a little warmer. And, and like July's going to be here before we know it. And then everybody's going to be complaining about how hot it is. Right? And it's like this never-ending cycle of us not being pleased with temperatures. Right? It's temporary. It's temporary. You want another one? You want another one? Another one that we're all, all dealing with? And don't start throwing things. Don't start throwing things. Because I've got security down here, Tom and, and, and mainly Jen, okay? That will handle it. All right? COVID. It's temporary. It's temporary. I mean, in 20, 30, 100 years, right? This will be a distant memory. Who knows how this is going to change our culture? I'm not getting into that conversation. I don't know. I don't have a clue. I'm waiting to find out. I wish somebody would tell me. Because it depends on which article you read, which newspaper you read, which this, which that, which state you're in, all the different things, and all that's confusing and frustrating and just makes me angry, right? But it's temporary. Let's see what the Bible says about temporary. Matthew 24, 10 through 13. I was reading this in my, in my study this morning and thought, wow, that's powerful. And Jesus is instructing about end times. And he says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's Matthew 24, 10 through 13. I know these two verses aren't going to be on the screen because they were added this morning in the back hallway as I was sitting preparing for today. You know what that tells me, church? I see this. Many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. False prophets 
will arise and lead many astray because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. I've been, uh, last Sunday was challenged with Galatians 6. You may remember it. Um, if any, if a brother among you has sinned, restore him gently, but be careful, right, that you're not tempted yourself. And that's just been on my mind all week as we go through hard things, right? We've got to persevere. We've got to be determined. We've got to walk in humility. We've got to abound in hope. But we've also got to keep watch on ourselves lest we be tempted. And so, and so as we look in Matthew, the love of many will grow cold. Let me ask you this morning, has your love for Jesus grown cold? In January. For the last two years. 1 Corinthians 4, 16-18. So we don't lose heart, Paul is telling the church at Corinth. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Worship team is going to come this morning in church. In faith, how determined are you to trust God? How determined are you to trust God? In faith, how willing are you to walk in humility? To consider the person across the aisle from you that has a very different view of COVID more important than yourself. To consider the person walking into Target yesterday in shorts. No, it wasn't Dylan. Is more important than yourself, even though you want to drop kick them. <laughs> to walk in humility. And then and then can I just encourage you? I mean part part of me feels like Jairus this morning begging a little bit. Abound in hope. Abound in hope. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. I could tell you, I could tell you some people right now that are probably having a tougher time than you are. That are wondering what's going to happen with their house, that are wondering what's going to happen with their kids, that are wondering what's going to happen with their marriage, 
that are wondering what's going to happen with their church. I'm a part of a thread this morning where a guy said, I'd just like to ask for prayer as I preach our church's last message today. That's a tough day. It's a tough day. And look, we're not the best church on the planet. I'll tell you that right now. I'm the pastor. But we'll be here next week. And the week after. Abound in hope. Even when hope is all you have. I can trust in Jesus because he's trustworthy. And so as you're sitting there this morning, and we're going to sing a good song in just a moment, but as you're sitting there this morning, where do you need to pray the most? As you sit this morning, do you need to be a little more determined? Do you need to not give up so quickly? Not quit? Do you need, do you need a little more humility? Do you need to be reminded of your weakness, who you are in relation to who God is? Do you need some hope? April's coming. June will be here soon. Do you need some hope? Whatever your need is, as we're singing this last song, I pray that you would sit and just say, God, help me be more determined. That you would pray, God, help me to walk in humility with this. That you would sit and remind yourself, God, help me to walk in hope, abound in hope, overflow with hope as I leave this place today. God, I pray that wherever we are this morning, we would see this story, these two miracles, and that, God, we would be challenged. God, we would be challenged to persevere, to be determined to finish the work that you have in front of us. God, that we, would, that we would be challenged with humility. God, that we would be challenged to no matter what our situation is, abound in hope. God, I pray that you would impress these things on our hearts today as we sing and as we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.